Welcome to the Future of Australia podcast, where your host, Derek Stewart, interviews the entrepreneurs and founders running the 100 fastest growing new businesses in Australia. On episode 34, I interview Luke Brown, the Managing Director of Keaton Contracting who provides civil engineering infrastructure services to both the private and public sectors of the construction and mining industries. We discuss how he and his close friend Nathan started a property management business straight out of high school when they were just 17, how they built it up to over $1 million in annual revenue before focusing on their university studies and working in engineering, why their risk appetite Willingness to work hard and desire to run their own business again made them quit their jobs and decide to tackle the most complex and difficult projects they could find. Hear how Keaton Contracting grew 558% last financial year to do nearly $10 million in annual revenue and become one of the fastest growing new businesses in Australia. If you are looking for civil engineering services or looking to work as an engineer, check out keaton.com.au. That's K-E-E. D-E-N.com.au. So I'm here with Luke Brown, the Managing Director of Keaton Contracting. Welcome to the podcast, Luke. Thanks, Derek. Thanks for, for having me on. That's all right. So can you tell us what were you doing before you started Keaton Contracting? What did you study? What type of companies, organizations, roles were you doing? Um, well, if we go chronologically, um, from, from school, um, my biz, current business partner and I, we, we actually went to the same high school and became pretty close friends during, during those years. And um, when, we, when we finished up, we made a bit of a decision to have a gap year and, and rather than, rather than travelling and seeing the world, we sort of made a decision that we'd start a small business and... and do a little bit of local work, things like property maintenance and fencing and sort of whatever we could, we could find. We'd just have, um, yeah, 12 months doing, doing that sort of work on and off and, and, you know, if we could make a bit of money and have a good time, we'd sort of spend the year doing that before we um, got into our study. Um, so that, that we started that off. Um, it was basically just a property maintenance business. We had some mowers and fencing and, um, it actually actually went much better than we had envisaged, and and sort of by the end of twelve months, we had a couple of employees, and we'd bought some things like ride-on mowers, and uh, had a bit of help from Nathan's um, father, and we we got together a bobcat and 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 an excavator from help through my father, and sort of started to build something that was quite that was going or going pretty well well we thought it was at the time we were we were only young i remember um when we went to the bank set up the bank accounts i wasn't yet 18 so nathan who was a little bit older than me had to sign all of the checks because i um wasn't in a position to legally um but that sort of went went well and and we we had that 12 months of of just working and having fun and and we weren't too worried about how much work we got um because we were still living at home and didn't have the overheads of, a, of an adult. But um, at the end of that 12 months, it was, as it was going, much better than we thought. We sort of made the decision to keep going and, and um, involve our 
study. So I started um, going to uni at at, um, at night, and Nathan was doing um, Nathan was doing his his education at night as well. Um, and that um, it actually went on for a few years. I think I think we were about. 23 22 or 23 we ran it for about five years and and that business we'd actually we were, we were quite proud because we'd managed to turn over a million dollars before we were before we were both 20 um so we were yeah we were pretty proud of that and it was quite a good business i think it probably in its height it probably had five or six guys working for us um then sort of leading into our early 20s around that 20 23 years old I think we were Nathan made the decision to move um, to the central west uh, being being orange or, or cute out um, so he moved out there and and he's he sort of was quite passionate about the um, sort of the civil side and the earth moving side so he he got a, a good job in in it for an earth moving company in orange um, he sort of Started at the bottom there and worked his way up to to construction manager of that company. Sort of by the time he was twenty seven, twenty eight, and and I was still in Sydney and working um, running Keaton, but then got offered quite a good job um, for a civil contracting company in in Penrith. It wasn't I, I initially had never planned on on. Um, working in the construction industry it, it wasn't my goal I actually was studying finance uh, at night at uni and sort of had planned on quite enjoyed the share market and, and that side of things but um, I guess through events ended up working in construction and and sort of realized that that um, we were we were quite good at it and had a bit of a general understanding so when I got offered that that role in that civil company I I took it up um, started off as a as a project administrator and um, sort of worked worked my way up in that organization and was finished off as a project manager managing quite a few civil civil projects um, I think probably probably the fact that Nathan's father and my father were quite heavily involved in construction um, just being around those environments and, and those people and, and probably hearing conversations uh, you know particularly I know from my experience you know in the car listening to to my father on the phone dealing with contract management and project management himself I, I think it probably instinctively wears off on you and 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 um, I sort of yeah ended up in that in that industry and doing quite well at it and progressing quite quite quickly from for my age um so yeah we we both ended up in the civil construction industry for a good good sort of six or seven years after that first initial small business that we had and so when you're at the end of high school and you and obviously a close friend um thinking of doing a year of work what was the plan was it like save up a bunch of money and, and sort of earn and then and then have a gap year to travel was it just to have more pocket money was it to sort of uh, mature a bit before you sort of made a final choice about university or what were you sort of when you were starting what was the the idea or the thought process 
I don't think we had too many too many preconceived ideas in regards to what the goal was. Uh, I think being the age and the fact that a lot of our friends were going overseas and and um, just in general we're going to have a pretty relaxed year that that we thought we thought the same. Um, we, we didn't really mind if it didn't work. Uh, it was a good time because to sort of step into to playing around with something like that because um, there, w- there weren't too many risks that the worst the worst that could happen was we didn't have any work and needed to get a job somewhere else or go to uni full time. But um, yeah, it sort of did end up going quite well and teaching us a lot. You know, it was, it was very residential and, 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 but dealing with people and giving them quotes and taking the risks on, on timeframes and, and, you know, we were, we were only dealing with small amounts of money, but it was a good experience definitely a good learning experience for later on. And what was the reaction of your early customers? Were you 17 years old? Obviously, I'm sure you're full of energy and uh, excitement and youth and ambition, but were some sceptical when you talked to them about you're going to do this, you're going to do that, but, but you, you know, you're essentially teenagers or did people like that, that you were young and, you know, really motivated and, and sort of positive? Uh, yeah, I think people did did like it and, and particularly uh, my business partner, Nathan, was quite good at quite a good salesman at a young age i i didn't necessarily um have that skill early on but yeah he was he was very good at it and managed to to sort of keep us um keep us keep us in work but people do i think and it probably depends on what you're offering if it's something you're offering that requires lots of lots of experience and knowledge probably they'd be skeptical but what we were offering was just willing to work hard and and people were happy to get behind that and support young people yeah so they might not trust you with you know investing their life savings but if it's sort of gardening housework some other fencing they think well you're young you're energetic you're fit why not right what's the worst that could happen and you know you, you present well and, and sort of gave you a go and then you just built on sort of word of mouth referrals or through real estate agents or how did you sort of expand that out to that million dollar revenue so quickly yeah it was was word of mouth and i and i think as well Probably in hindsight, there was a bit of a hole in the market, um, and and we were probably also a little bit, a little bit ignorant as to what people should be earning, and and probably underpriced things. So um, we I'd, we definitely went to work some days for not much money, but that was all all part of the learning experience. Um, so yeah, I think we did fill a fill a bit of a hole in the market um, at that time. Um, probably un- unknowingly, but it did lead to, yeah, quite a bit of work. And, and, I mean, were you just sort of knocking on doors in the local area? Were you doing letter drops? How were you sort of friends and family and friends of their friends? Or how did it sort of begin at, at the early stage? It did end, It did begin um, Did begin primarily through friends and then through word of mouth as, and just grew that way just quite quite naturally. Yeah, and then so you and uh, Nathan both obviously got sort of um, jobs um, in different sort of complementary sectors and living in different areas. And, and so you've had a, a bit of an early go in your te- late teens, sort of running this business, doing quite well. And then you've had both a quite good success getting companies at the bottom and sort of getting some promotions and, and doing well. So how did you go from there back to sort of uh, Keaton contracting and focusing on that as a, as a business and really uh, choosing that as the direction to go in? Uh, well, we 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 
I don't think we planned it as such. We, we were obviously good friends and, and, um, and talked very regularly um, throughout those years. And, and um, Nathan was, was quite enjoying the Central West and, and I, was, I was pretty, pretty busy in, in, in the Sydney market but didn't necessarily enjoy, enjoy that. Um, I didn't, didn't enjoy aspects of it like traveling across Sydney, we had jobs with the company I was working for had jobs all over the place. So we were down South, a um, couple of hours to the jobs to the North and, and it sort of in, involved quite a lot of travel. Um, in saying that, it was a massive learning experience working there. Um, but there was a time where I think we were both quite, keen to to absorb risk and, and take on risk. We had quite a big risk appetite um, just as people naturally. Um, and I think it, there was a, an itch there that we probably weren't um, having scratched as, as employees. We, we quite enjoyed the, the, I suppose, the gamble of such, as such um, of tendering projects, large projects and Putting your your knowledge and your experience on the line, and and then going about delivering that, um, and doing that with someone else's money, even though I always treated their money like it was my own, and tried to do the best that I could. It 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 is different when you're doing it um, for your for yourself. Um, so I think that probably subconsciously that was a real driver to branching out and, and going into business ourselves. ourselves. And, and, I mean, did you sort of start it on um, sort of part-time basis or at a certain point did you both just sort of look at each other and say, let's go all in, let's take the risk, let's sort of quit the day jobs and, and go back to sort of working for ourselves? Uh, there was a point in time when I felt pretty confident in what I was doing for the organisation I was working for and, and felt um, that I, was, I, I had the knowledge and was capable to do it myself um, and I think Nathan probably felt the same thing. Uh, and we did draw a line in the sand. Uh, I can remember um, when we both made the decision that it was the right thing to do, um, we both, both resigned and that... I think we made that conscious decision that we had to commit to the idea of what, what we were going to do and, and also to each other that we were going to make it work. Um, and Nathan probably had a bit more on the line. He, he, he had a young family. I, I don't have kids yet, so there was probably a little bit less risk for me. But, yeah, we had faith in each other and, and, and had quite a good idea of what, what we were going to offer the market and, and believed in it. So, um, yeah, we, were, we, we did draw a line in the sand and jump in. And what was that point of difference? Like you said, you really felt confident that you had something uh, unique and special to bring the market or a bit of a gap like before where you found a gap in the sort of the, the home maintenance market. What, what gap or opportunity did you sort of identify that you thought you were going to go after? Uh, well, we both quite enjoyed the difficult, the difficult construction projects that were a little bit specialised had those um, 
additional requirements, whether they were whether they were difficult to price, difficult to deliver, difficult clients, um, difficult from a from a safety perspective or an environmental perspective, um, constructability perspective, we 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 were going to. Well, the plan was to seek out that work. Um, we also had identified that in that Central West region that um, there wasn't many companies that that were willing to lump sum price projects. Um, there, you know that that tendering process is is a is a skill and takes a lot of time um, to develop. Um, the that and then from that, there being a bit of a hole in the market, there was what we sort of identified that that for those projects around that sort of two to three million dollar mark and and under, they weren't quite big enough for the Sydney companies with those capabilities to head west. It just wasn't. There wasn't the economies of scale there to to be away from home, and there wasn't many companies in the Central West that were that were willing or able to sort of take on those jobs. There, there is plenty around. There is a few around, but not nowhere near as many as um, as the Sydney market. So that was that was our goal was to was to tackle those those difficult projects um, because the the companies out there in the Central West that are capable of of um, Doing that work, they, you know, they, they were all busy, um, and it was hard for clients in all sectors to find a company that that was willing to take the challenges on and also lump sum in that in that middle range project bracket. Yes, it's sort of a convergence of multiple things. Like you said, there's a geographic opportunity um, away from sort of the main competitive Sydney market. There, like you said, a bit of a, a business model uh, gap where you've sort of had. Um, the the foresight to sort of see what was there and, and the frustrations in the tendering process, and then also the, the customers were frustrated and not sort of getting what they wanted, um, and you sort of had that risk tolerance to take those jobs that maybe others were turning away. So you sort of overall saw that unmet demand. Is that right across those different sort of factors? And thought, wait, we, if we fill that demand, obviously if you add it all up, there's a, a legitimate sort of business there. Yeah, primarily that that was our thought process, and and you know there's been other companies that um, have sort of seen the same opportunities and doing similar things to us now. But it, yeah, we definitely, definitely there was that opportunity in the market, and it it's helped us to grow. They helped us to grow our business, and and um, it is is a busy busy area. So um, yeah, from that initial. Entry point, we, we've managed to grow a good sort of customer base and, and people have been happy with what we're doing. So we, we're, we are getting that ongoing work and opportunity. And what was the first 12 months like? Again, your, your um, partner, Nathan, has his, the family and uh, young kids at that point. You're, again, a bit older, obviously. You've seen and done a bit more, but you both have that sort of high risk tolerance. You've got this idea and then you take it to the market, to the customers. I mean, were they receptive straight away because you were fulfilling unmet demand or was there a bit of who are you, we don't know you, you haven't been around as long and sort of scepticism or what was that early early days of, uh, of that strategy like? Yeah, well, it is, a difficult, it is a difficult industry to enter as a new business, even with personal experience because there's prerequisites in the tender, you know, certain revenues, certain experience, certain 
previously completed project sizes. Um, but surprisingly, we, we managed to get a couple of jobs early on underway um, through previous con- contacts and, and, and um, opportunities. There'd been a few businesses in the area that had sort of moved on and, and folded up. And, um, yeah, people, people were willing to give us an opportunity, um, particularly with smaller packages at the start. Um, you know, the, the projects we were picking up were sort of a couple of hundred thousand dollars each and which were, which were manageable with our own, our own personal capital and, and sort of weren't at that bracket where we were going through extensive tender, tender processes that were, were getting, um, you know, weighted and reviewed by third parties or, yeah, we, we managed to get a few, few projects over the line and underway, which, which started to build our portfolio and experience, which, um, which led to the, to the bigger projects. Yeah, and obviously really found your sweet spot, growing 558% last financial year, doing over $10 million in sales and making one of the FinReview fast starters uh, as the fastest growing new business in Australia. So, so was it just that stair-stepping up from small projects to big projects? Was there one sort of big flagship project that sort of really made a lot of that growth or, again, a change in your sort of strategy or delivery or anything on that side? Uh, we, we had a pretty ambitious attitude at the start. Um, we sort of got those first few jobs done and dusted and we did experience a little bit of a flat spot. Um, I can remember there was sort of, uh, three, three or four months there where we, we struggled to land something and, and that was that little bit of uncertainty and realization that, that, um, it was going to be quite tough, so we we sort of went about doing some plant hire work and and things that we originally planned not to do um, wasn't really our model. We we wanted to be doing that contracting work, but um, we we took that on and managed to keep the. We probably only had three or four guys working for us at that point in time, but yeah, managed to keep them all going, and and we all were doing hands on stuff. I can remember, you know, Nathan and I on the gear, um, you know, trying to, trying to keep the money coming in. But, um, yeah, I think it was about the nine month period. We, we landed quite a good job, um, working on a, working on a hospital, which was sort of state infrastructure spending through one of the tier one builders. Um, and it was a quite a difficult job to, to price. It's still going now. We've been there for nearly two and a half years and there's probably another three or so three or four months left there. So it was a long-term project and it, and it, um, it was exactly what we were looking for and, and what I've sort of described was our idea. It was, it was, it was difficult. It was long-term. It was, you know, working with a client that some people don't necessarily um, like to work with. We found them fantastic to work for, but you know, there, there's requirements and, 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 um, you know, from a safety quality and, and sort of production point of view that you need to meet and you need to manage that. And as long as you're doing a good job, they're happy, but they do make you accountable. Um, and we, we, we always sought that out. We were happy to, to, to deal with that. So, yeah, that, that job was a good start for us. It really 
gave us a location where if we didn't have other work, we could, we could send guys. Um, it gave us that, that um, foundation, I suppose, is probably the, the best way to describe it. It gave us the foundation for growth. Um, we, we continued to tender quite aggressively through that time and we did, did get a lot of projects going and probably had too much work. Um, the, the, that growth that you mentioned, it was within, it was within sort of that was our second year of business. Um, we were both, yeah, both pretty green and, and, and managed to manage to deal with it. Um, we probably toyed with the fine line of, of getting too big too quick where, um, we wanted to do it organically without without um, overheads in the in the overdrafts in the um, through the banks and and we just wanted to use our own money to make it happen. But when you're growing at those those sorts of rates, you know, you, for example, you could be you could be turning over hundred thousand dollars one month, and then the next month you're turning over two hundred thousand, and and so on and so on when you're growing that rapidly and and what happens is you, the cost of turning over $200,000 is generally very close to $200,000 um, depending on what margins you're working on. But when you've only done $100,000 a month before, your revenue is only $100,000. So you're always, um, chasing your, always chasing chasing the money because you're growing faster than you're earning. Um, and that was probably one of our main challenges. We we had to manage the subcontractors that were working for us carefully. Obviously, our employees were upfront costs, um, but we managed that balance where we we didn't have the employees internally costing us more than what the previous month's revenue was, and and for that excess amount, we managed it using subcontractors and, and put them on the same payment terms that we were getting paid on, um, which generally speaking in the industry is 30 days end of month. So, you know, sort of worst case scenario, if you're doing work on the first of a, of, of a month, you could be looking at sort of upwards of 60 days to get paid. Um, but yeah, subcontractors and suppliers were willing to go back to back with us. Um, and it was a matter of, yeah, managing, managing those income streams to, to cost output um, so that we didn't didn't end up in in the red. Well, that that was always the intent. There were periods when it was um, people paid late, etc. The sort of standard stories you hear in the industry um, that did cut things very fine. And we, you know, I mentioned before we had quite a, a big risk appetite, and we definitely we definitely got got the full experience, um, plenty of sleepless nights, and and. Um, yeah, backs to the wall. But, you know, we've come through it now and, and the, the growth is steady and the business is good. So it was all worth it. Yeah. And, and so what were some of those hardest parts in that rapid growth? Like you said, it's easy to become a victim of your own success. Um, was it just managing cash flow? Was it recruiting enough staff in time? Was it spreading your focus amongst all these complex high-risk sort of projects? What were some of those really difficult parts of the success? You know, obviously, there's different problems if you're struggling. Um, but there's also sort of success problems. So what were some of those real challenges to, to navigate in that rapid success? success? 
I guess with the size of the business that we were, it was, it was all of those things and it probably just depended on the day. Um, we, you know, I, I sort of said it to someone once, when, when you're working for someone else, you, you're a project manager or, or you're, a, you know, you're a designer or an operator or when you're running your own business, you're everything, particularly the size of business that, that we are. You're the, you're the general manager, you're the project manager, you're the, you know, some, some days when you can't get people to do night shifts or something, you're the labourer, you're the truck driver, you're sort of, you know, early on we were everything. It's, it's the size of the business now. We're pretty predominantly adopted the roles that we're doing and, and um, it sort of has settled down. But you, you're dealing with all sorts of, of issues daily, HRs and your employees are always a, always a, a big one. It's hard. We've got some good guys, really good guys now that are great assets to our business. But it does take time to sort of go through go through those processes and, and find those valuable guys and the and the the ones that are happy to um, convey the culture that you know we're trying to achieve and, and are passionate for the same things. Because if, if you if you've got that passion to to seek out those challenging opportunities, you need guys that are willing and, and want to do the same thing so that um, sort of throughout the whole business that that culture's there. Um, so that yeah, that HR side is one one challenge that never never ends um, and never will. It's probably the one thing that you, you don't really hear a lot when you're thinking about starting your own business is just how hard personalities are to manage and and it is it is one of the one of the hardest aspects of our job um the the cash flow side and and that sort of aspect to it is is um is a challenge you've got to have a it's one thing to look at it on paper but you've you've sort of got to have a bit of a feel for where you're at um and and where you're heading um so that you can preempt it because quite often when it gets to paper it's too late so you've got to be hands-on i think when you're dealing with that amount of growth um and just making sure that yeah you've got all your eyes dotted and t's crossed so that at the end of the month when the money comes in and the money goes out there there's um you're sort of pretty close to staying afloat yeah and so there's no nasty surprises right with a sort of miscalculation or misunderstanding and, yeah. Um, and so speaking of hiring people, um, there's talk at the moment within Australia of sort of changing degree prices around engineering and sort of making those uh, cheaper, um, increasing the cost for humanities, I guess trying to tie them to different sort of desired uh, career and job outcomes and industry outcomes. And you know, some people say this is a good thing, get more people into engineering and sort of STEM. Other people think, well, price isn't really a big factor. You can't sort of force people maybe to be interested in something they're not interested in. Yeah. You know, on that people side, hiring, growing, the future, um, engineering is sort of a sector and, and what you guys do. Um, do you see, uh, is it a lack of people getting into engineering? Are there a lack of opportunities for people in engineering? Do you see a big sort of demand and supply mismatch or is it getting the right people? What are some of those um, challenges for, for people looking in a, a career in this space who you might be hiring sort of now and in the future? Uh, yeah, there's definitely definitely a hole in the hole in the market there and particularly from a from a construction 
side. Um, the engineers that are that 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 come out of um, university, it, it does take a long time to to learn the the construction side. If you if you are going to work in the construction side of the industry, um, I don't have a lot of experience with the with the actual design side. Um, and you know, interestingly, I I studied a finance degree. Um, I then did go back and do a, a postgraduate in engineering management because I sort of have these contractual obligations to provide to people that a, a project manager that's suitably experienced and qualified. And I didn't necessarily meet that qualification with just a requirement with just a finance degree. But um, you know, for me that that the the majority of my understanding is from the bottom up um and yeah i suppose this this podcast focused about around entrepreneurs and and i think to be good at that side you need to understand the whole industry and and the whole game and and you know where you can find opportunities within that um and that that uh, engineering or, or university degree is very good at at plugging one of those holes, um, which you know you learn that you learn those role based requirements. Um, but I, I do think it's important for people that that want to start a business that they they learn all aspects from it and see it from from all points of view, um, whether that's from you know from the computer working on design um or being on the shovel some of the best best business men and and women that i've met uh, in my time have have come up from the from the ground from the from the trenches and they've sort of got that understanding of what it takes to make money from that perspective um yeah, I think in the end, if you you're a good sort of top down manager, it's because you've you've sort of seen it from the bottom up. Um, so yeah, I suppose you know my I do think it's important to get a view from all sides if if you are thinking of of starting your own business. Um, I think it's pretty important. And what about just for people looking to sort of get into engineering, I suppose, as the discipline more generally? Like I said, do you see there's a lot of opportunities, especially if you're business savvy and, like you say, can sort of uh, spot different sort of trends in the market like you've done? Or, or is it sort of a lot of people are going to gravitate towards really big firms? Or is it a sector that sort of you feel, again, there's a lack of people going into it, maybe a lack of awareness? of the opportunities that are in the field and, and people, you know, maybe hear a lot about like software engineering, for example, and less about other engineering things or they hear about sort of the, the just pure construction side versus the engineering side. Do, do you sort of see, I mean, the field is sort of a, a thing that a lot of people are interested in or I guess you're so in it, you don't really see what people who aren't in it are sort of saying about it, I suppose. Yeah, no, I do, I do agree with what you're saying there. I, I think a lot of people... Um, that that are in the industry sort of end up in where they are, not necessarily because that was their goal. Um, I don't think it's an uh, an attractive industry, the construction industry, from a 
from a young person's perspective. Um, it's sort of a lot of hard work and, and, you know, people may go into a degree such as civil engineering or survey or something because it makes sense at the time um, to when they leave school to go into it and then sort of by design they, they end up being a cadet or, or something like that working for a firm and, and sort of end up working in the industry through through that um, entry point rather than having having the goal or, or the attraction of where they, they want to end up. I do see that um, there's quite a sort of quite a few people that that are working in the industry that are there um, without necessarily a direction of where they where they want to where they want to go. Yeah. Yeah, I think some people say that about like tax accounting, for example. A lot of lawyers and accountants sort of fall into tax accounting just because it's you know it's a big field and a lot, a lot of um, uh, it's a lucrative sort of area. But they don't sort of go and th- dream I want to be a tax accountant, but just sort of the gravity of the industry, I suppose, in a sense, sort of pulls them towards that. Yeah, well, it is a big, it is a big market, and there is a. De- demand for it particularly at the moment you know you've got the the western sydney airport the new airport you've got um with the with corona and and coronavirus there you know sometimes quite often the the government will look at solving problems with spending money and it's generally in infrastructure and and um you know the mining sector is going quite good at the moment the residential subdivision market's been quite good and there is a demand and a and a thirst for for people that can um, deliver projects and and get things done. So yeah, I think that that pull definitely 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 results in people ending up in the industry that didn't necessarily plan on it. And so, what would you say to someone who you think you know might be a good um, candidate? Like I said, you think people are sort of willing to work hard. They're pretty switched on. Start at the bottom, work their way up. Are going to sort of do well, and obviously a certain amount of um, just sort of existing sort of knowledge and study um, in maths and science, but but what would you say to someone who maybe doesn't know a lot about engineering but is sort of maybe curious or hasn't thought about it? What is the sort of the main draw cards or pitch you would give them to say why they you know might consider it as a, as a pathway? Obviously, it's not for everyone, but for people who might it might be full. How would you sort of I suppose uh, present it to them? Uh, I think it's. I think there's plenty of plenty of opportunity within the market to, first of all, a, as an employee, um, there's plenty of opportunities there and plenty of plenty of learning opportunities. You've got the ability to enter the market at a young age and earn quite good money relative to to other industries, um, particularly if you're good at what you're doing. Um, you, you you can earn, I suppose, comparably good good incomes. Um, even even more so on on site, um, being hands on, they're, they're hard to come by. And yeah, you can you can earn really good money doing that. Um, that sort of work, driving machines and and things like that, and learning from from that side of of business as well. Um, but yeah, I do think it's a market that seems to be pretty sustainable and even more so recently in the last 12 months we've probably realized how good an industry it is when we've been quite lucky and been one of the few that's that's been able to continue to work and been encouraged by 
by the government to do that to keep um, to keep the economy ticking over. So yeah, it is. It is. Um, what's the What's the term that the, the, the government refers proof? to? Is it the recession proof Re- sort of industry? Recession or? proof and a and a and a. Um, it's, it's, it's a what are they? What are they referring to? The industries that are keep working, creators, not man, uh, essential, not mandatory. Essential, essential it's an industry. essential, essential, essential service, mm. and it's um, that sort of has proven to to protect this industry the last twelve months, which we've been quite very very lucky that we've all still still got jobs to go to every day to keep us busy. Yeah, and I think a lot of people uh, they speak to, especially you know people maybe still at uni right now, their perspective has sort of shifted as they've seen obviously the upheaval in the economy on what jobs are, where are there more opportunities? Because sometimes it looks like there's an opportunity, a big industry, and then the market shifts and it suddenly shrinks down, disappears, and people realise you know, or maybe that's sort of a boom time um, opportunity, but not a sort of all weather opportunity like um, what you guys are doing. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I, I do think that um, there's a there's a sustainability about it, and um, when times are good, it, it can be um, you know quite a lucrative business to be involved in. Yeah, and so you've been interested in business obviously since you're a teenager, starting your uh, first business, being in business again now. Looking more broadly at sort of entrepreneurship in Australia, what, what do you see a lot of Australian businesses, a lot of Australian entrepreneurs doing well? And then if you keep an eye on sort of other, other geographies, other markets, other countries, where do you see maybe Australian entrepreneurs sort of uh, a step behind? Um, I, I think it's, it, is, it is a difficult, um, a difficult entry point being an entrepreneur and I, I, I think a lot of people look for um, a simple solution to making money when, particularly when it comes to starting their own their own business they sort of looking for that that quick fix or that hole in the market um, such as an app or, or or something along those lines um, and I do think if, if people, are willing to think long term and um, invest the time into themselves to to learn about a trade and and learn about an industry, um, then they can be quite successful if they if they want to start their business and, and be an entrepreneur. and And I guess from my point of view and a bit of a summary, I've I've always kept in my head is that there's there's really I think there's really only two ways um, to make money and that's to, to, to do something that people can't or, or to do something that people won't. Um, and in saying that, you know, for example, not everyone can create a vaccine for coronavirus and, and whoever does will, will do quite well. And then also in the same, same, same conversation, you know, not everyone wants to go and fix a live broken sewer main in the middle of the night during winter. Um, and doing both those things, you can make really good money. It's, you know, there's, if you can find a happy medium between doing something that people, people can't do and, and people won't do, and if there's a bit of an overlap in, in, in what you're doing that meets both, ticks both of those boxes, 
And then you're doing that in an industry where there's a demand. Um, I sort of see that as the sweet point um, to, to having a good business and a sustainable business. Uh, but to, to achieve that and be able to identify those locations in a market, you, you do need to do the hard work and, and the research and, and have that experience and sort of, I guess you need to be, be always on the lookout for, for that opportunity. Yeah, I think that's a really good framework as well because there's a lot of industries which seem very sexy from the outside. Everyone wants to kind of get into it, right, like the entertainment industry. But then because so many people want to do it, you know, actually the the amount of people actually make any money doing it is incredibly low because there's always someone willing to do it cheaper, willing to do it more than the next batch of people. Whereas, like you said, if it's something people don't want to do um, or they can't do it because it's very technical, need a lot of experience, you need a lot of sort of... uh, maybe creativity or practice and may, or again, it, it's hard work, like I said, night shift, other things, complex processes that, that's sort of too hard for a lot of people. That's where the opportunities are going to be because anything that's easy would already be done or would be sort of competed down to sort of zero because everyone wants to do it or can do it. Yeah, that's right. And, and people, people are happy or, and people or organisations are happy to pay good money if 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 you solve their problems or or take work off their hands or or take responsibility for risks that they don't necessarily want to take and and it is a good feeling when you offer people something and they feel like they're getting value for money um, and uh, yeah I think that that's probably probably a focus that um, people need to keep in mind when they're young and, and when they're looking towards their future is that the chances of, of someone coming up with something that is, is you know, you're going to sell 100 million apps at a, at a, at a dollar an app is, is few and far between. Um, and, and if you spend too much time, I guess, looking for something like that, you, you can sort of miss out on other opportunities that, that can make you, you know, quite happy as well. Yeah, and I guess part of it as well is looking for areas that you either enjoy or are happy to sort of lean into that most people aren't. Like you sort of said, maybe you're a bit of an outlier um, along with Nathan in your sort of risk tolerance. So a lot of people are very risk averse. So if it's sort of something that's your natural strength in doing complex sort of um, riskier projects and but a lot of other big companies are worried that the clients are worried about it, it's sort of, it's something, not that comes easily to you, but it's something you enjoy the challenge, whereas other people fear the challenge. There's a natural versus you just trying to motivate yourself to do something you hate the same amount as your client. There's it's sort of, I guess, not a, an arbitrage there, but where you enjoy the challenge and they fear the challenge, like you so said, there's a win-win, that they're paying someone to solve their problem and you're getting paid to solve a problem that you like to solve. Yeah, for sure. And and what we've also found along those lines is that it's transferable between industries. Um, you know, we, we wanted to diversify our income streams a little bit. Um, so we, we sort of spread ourselves across the mining sector, um, sort of infrastructure spending or state infrastructure spending, um, and also that private um, residential development spending. Um, to sort of just future-proof our business and, and there is cycles within each industry and, you know, we can if we can distribute ourselves across, across those sectors, um, it should be, should be 
you know, improve the sustainability of the business. But in saying that wasn't our original intent, but um, what we were just discussing in regards to, to meeting demand, um, we, we did find that it was transferable and, and we managed to sort of fill a hole in a number of different markets along the way. And so would you, when you're going into those markets, you would sort of look for those areas, like you said, complex, risky things that, where there's demand, so there's already proof of need, but like other people were not servicing that demand and or, or trying to find out or present yourself where we solve complex problems. How would you sort of align those those gaps with, again, your sort of entry into those additional sectors? Yeah, definitely. So we identified those areas and and worked our way in there whether it was um competitively tendering we you know we started small with with particular organizations and and councils and things like that doing smaller works for them and and took on the jobs at the bottom that that no one wanted to do and as a result um developed a name and delivered delivered a product that sort of opened us up to other opportunities within their organizations and and sort of yeah we we, we did quite uh, quite actively plan entries into into those industries and and made conscious decisions about who we were working for and and did research in, into who we were working for. Um, it's I think it's important to have good relationships with your clients and and you know you you almost someone said to me once it's just as important to for you to interview the client than it is for the client to interview interview you you know and I think that is. Is something that's important to remember because it for something to be successful it's got to go both ways yeah ab- absolutely right because you have to benefit they have to benefit if they're getting all the benefit and you're getting you know you're losing money you're not enjoying it doesn't fit you you know that's not going to be successful and and sort of repeatable you both have to be sort of benefiting in your own way yeah definitely and so for someone maybe who's 18 or 20 years old now, obviously you've had an interesting path you've sort of carved out for yourself, but um, what advice would you give someone who's 18 or 20? You know, they're not sure what they want to do. Maybe they're looking at different things, um, like maybe you've uh, increased their curiosity about engineering and the construction space you're in. What would you sort of say to someone who's a bit unsure of what to do and where to go, especially in the current sort of a bit more uh, unusual or uncertain times? I think... I think it's it's important to have a goal of setting goals um, and continually reviewing those. It, it doesn't matter if they change regularly as long as they're there. Um, and as you as your as your experience level and, and education um, in regards to sort of the technicalities of what you're doing improve, they'll consistently change. Um, probably one mistake I made was trying to set a complete picture in in my mind and and probably hanging on to that picture for too long um, before reviewing it. I, I think it's in, important to con- continually review it because you're improving as an individual um, and you need to yeah continually improve your goal setting and and if you've got that clear picture you'll subconsciously and consciously make the decisions that will that, that, that sort of will lead to, to where you want to go and, and even if that part of that goal setting is just consistently keeping an eye on markets for, for those opportunities that we were talking about um, consistently review it 
complete, keep, keep painting the picture um, of what, what you want to achieve so that um, you can get there. Yeah, and speaking of goals, achievements, the future, what does the next five to ten years look like for Keaton Contracting? Do you have a, a vision, a, again, like a goal, like you said, a picture that you've got in your mind with, uh, with Nathan of where you want the business to go? Yeah, well, we're both we're both still relatively pretty young. We're um, I think we're both thirty one at the moment. Nathan's a little bit older than me, but you know, we're I'm sort of venturing into having a family, and and Nathan's um, continuing to extend his. So I think probably what we want to do is is develop a bit of sustainability within the organisation in in that. Um, we can probably have a bit more of a better quality of life outside of it because we have been ridiculously committed to it in regards to, to um, concentration, in regards to time, um, and definitely, you know, family and friends have have been supportive, but deserve um, probably a bit more of our of our time as well. So I think we, we consciously will try and try and implement, you know, people into our organisation that can um, assist us. We, we, you know, part of our business model was that we were and is that we're, that we're very hands-on and that won't change. We, we don't want to change that. We're not, we're not afraid of, of being involved and working hard. So that, that won't change. But, yeah, we're just, you know, we're cutting back maybe from, you know, 60 to 70 hours a week to 40 to 50, I think would be the goal. Um, and, and probably just improve the overall efficiency of, of the business, um, improve the bottom line through what we're doing. You know, we've got a, a lot of equipment and, and um, earth-moving equipment that we can, we can improve and upgrade and, and trade and probably improve that side of the business. Um, and then I think as well to help us with help us with that time we, we probably need to start investing our our capital into some longer term assets such as property and, and things like that because our reinvestment strategy to date's been been really high like we pretty much everything that we've earned we put back into the business to to buy machinery and upgrade things and and um you know we probably need to diversify a little bit as to as to what we're doing with that with that capital and and probably invest in some other things rather than just purely the business and and its its um its assets yeah so it sounds like sort of systems processes you know management structure that like you said enables you to be slightly less in the business every hour of every day um and, and then also looking at the sort of financial side do you um also plan to sort of i guess expand geographically do projects across more of australia or is that like you said a result of once you have more of a structure in place that you have the, the capacity to go out and sort of tender projects beyond where you are at the moment uh, yeah geographically there's no plan to grow unless unless there's a a dip in the market and we need to keep going you know it's the, the business is is a bit of a beast and it's you know at the moment and it takes a bit of a bit of revenue to keep it going so out of necessity we may have to travel um but at the moment the market is sustaining us and there's there's plenty of opportunities in in where we're working 
um, that it it um, is keeping us occupied. But I think probably we'd we'd like to increase the size of the business uh, size of the projects that we're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, you sort of take that step at the moment. We've you know we've sort of done a couple of projects around that that five million dollar mark, and we'd probably like to to sort of take on some projects that are double that um, to sort of yeah just increase increase the challenges and, and keep everyone keen because you know we've got good guys that are working for us and they also want to con- keep to continue to grow so we want to we want to find challenges for them as well as us and are there any more sectors that you i mean you've got pretty good coverage like you said across multiple ones especially now that you've expanded are there any other ones you see that you haven't yet sort of tapped into that could be in the future horizon uh i suppose when we look into that sort of investment side and property investment side, there could be could be opportunities to for development and, and aspects like that. We, we've obviously got that experience in subdivision market and building them, and potentially, you know, we could look at at um, purchasing developments that we could do and construct ourselves. Um, so that's probably the development industries something that would would make sense that we'd start to look into sort of over the next couple of years so sort of you're handling more of that supply chain rather than building it for the developers subdivision being the developer yourself and using your own business to then develop the subdivision yeah it it makes sense and it's sort of naturally the next step um naturally the next step and it's also something that we could use to to um occupy any any dips in the market if we've got our own projects to complete we could time those um you know in and around other works and there's no no delivery restraints in regards to to program to have them off the off the plan by a certain time so if we were to get busy we could slow down again and um yeah it's sort of to us it could could fill that hole and and help with um keeping everyone going yeah no it sounds really good and uh, do you have any final words, thoughts, comments you'd like to leave the audience with? Uh, not particularly. It's been been good to be on. We've, we've you know we spend a lot of time working on and in the business, and there's not many, often many opportunities where you, where you um, get to sit back and reflect. So um, yeah, it's been been good experience. Excellent. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast, Luke. No worries. Thanks for having us. Thank you for listening to the Future of Australia podcast. If you liked the episode, please subscribe and leave a review in iTunes. To learn more about the Future of Australia project, check out futureofaustralia.com. To reach out to Derek directly, you can email derek at futureofaustralia.com. That's D-E-R-E-K at futureofaustralia.com.